I stood here earlier this morning and um, just to let you know, I had five points and I preached the first one and it was 49 minutes. So, what I did is I deleted four points for this morning. So we will spend our time on one this morning, and yes, you are welcome. But at the same time, if you and I would understand this one point, we would praise the other four, possibly. So we'll get those uh, next week and uh, maybe future weeks if I'm preaching one point for that long. If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We are in our study on discipleship, making disciples that make disciples, and today is, or it was going to be, five ingredients that bring about joy in discipleship. Five ingredients, but we're only going to get to one today, and so we're going to see one ingredient that brings about joy in discipleship. Show of hands. No, no, in your heart. I would not put you on that form. I want you to... I'm going to ask you a question, or maybe 12, but uh, I want you to think about it, and I want you to turn right and left right now and say, this question's for me, it's not for you, so you can do that, this audience participation, these questions are for me, not for you. So, here's the question, it is about you, and you only. Do you think of yourself? As a believer, do you think of yourself as a Christian? Do you think of yourself as one who follows Jesus? In, in our day, more for some than others, but in our day, there's this thing called Facebook, there's this thing called Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, where you... I have a page, so to speak, and you get to write about who you are. And oftentimes, especially with Twitter, because you only have 140 characters, but oftentimes the catchphrase is, I'm a Christ follower, or, or I'm a believer, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And that's how they describe themselves. Is that how you would describe yourself? Second question. I know that was five in one, but second question. Is every believer, every Christian, every Christ follower a disciple? Is every believer, every Christ follower, every Christian, are they to be a disciple? Four weeks ago, we looked at Francis Chan's definition of the word disciple, and here's how he stated it. I'll bring it back up for us. In his book, Multiply, he stated this about a disciple. The word disciple refers to a student or an apprentice. Disciples in Jesus' day would follow their rabbi, which means teacher, wherever he went, learning from the rabbi's teachings. 
and being trained to do as the rabbi did. Basically, Chan states, basically, a disciple is a follower, but only if we take the term follower literally. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is as simple as obeying his call to follow. When Jesus called his first disciples, they might not have understood chance days. They may not have understood where Jesus would take them or the impact it would have on their lives, but they knew what it meant to follow. Jesus took, they took Jesus' call literally and began going everywhere he went and doing everything he did. And I love how he ends this portion of his book he says it's impossible it's impossible to be a disciple or a follower of someone and not end up like that person question do you think of yourself as a disciple Do you think of yourself as a disciple? Jesus told his disciples that they were the only plan. They were plan A and there was no plan B. And you and I think that there were 11 guys that he told this to and ultimately, right at the beginning, that's how it was. But he said, this, disciples, you're the only plan. I love how Luke records what took place in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I believe it will be on the screen for you, but in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, Luke states it this way. He records it from those that were there. He got eyewitness accounts, and they said this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And in our terms today, Jesus said, you're not on the calendaring committee. You're not on the calendaring uh, ministry team. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But this is the ministry team. This is the committee that you're on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Matthew recorded it this way in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you think of yourself as a disciple? If you think of yourself as a follower of Christ, if you think of yourself as a believer in Christ... And some of you here today may not. Some of you may have never bowed the knee. Some of you have never confessed with your mouth. You can't go there. I understand that. But I would 
venture that the vast majority of those that are looking at me right now, hearing me right now, you would call yourself a follower of Jesus. And if that's the case, he commanded you. Not the Green Beret Christian, not Stephen, not Brian, not Clay, not me, not the leadership team, not the deacons, not the connect leaders, but he commanded you to make disciples of all nations. How's that plan? How you doing? Have you made a disciple in Hernando? You made a disciple in South Haven. You, you made a disciple in Mississippi. You made a disciple Timbuktu. This sermon is not one of those where we stomp and just grind you into the concrete floor, although it feels like that right now. Probably I'm hoping that that is a portion of what's there to bring into reality, to bring into the moment of where we are. Because you and I have been commanded to make disciples. Over the next few moments, I I want us to look at a prayer that Paul wrote to a church that he absolutely loved. And I want us to look at one ingredient that brings joy into your life in the area of discipleship. This ingredient will not only bring about joy in your life because you have this, but this ingredient will bring about joy as you go out and make disciples. An ingredient is a component part or an element of something, a a piece of the overall puzzle. Ingredients are necessary to make anything, whether it is brownies, a dress, a basketball team, a truck, anything. And you think, I don't think of ingredients for basketball teams or, or a garden or a truck, but it is a component or a piece that brings about, as you put those pieces together, the overall truck. I remember growing up watching a gentleman usually came on Sunday, excuse me, Saturday afternoons. His name was Justin Wilson. That's not how he pronounced it because he's Cajun. But uh, he would be putting all these different ingredients together and he'd say, I guarantee you put all these ingredients, these ingredients in this pot. It's going to be good. He drew out guarantee to about 14 syllables. The first ingredient for joy. I want to read the whole of the prayer or the majority of the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 and see this ingredient. I'll start in verse 15 and we'll conclude at the end of the chapter in verse 23. It states this. For this reason, and he's about to tell you the reason, for this reason, why? Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. For that reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. Might you speak to your people today? Might you speak clearly? Might you right now, Father, give us ears to hear fathers we look at different passages that that deal with these words that deal with these concepts this aspect of joy in discipleship father would you please allow our eyes to see spiritually where we are where we are spiritually as individuals. Father, there are some here today, I, I would, I don't know the heart, but Lord, I, I'm not naive to, to believe that everybody here is a Christian. Would you allow us to see where we stand with you? Would you allow us to see how much you love us? Yes, how much you love us, Father, as a body of believers, as your church, River Bend. But, Father, how much you love us individually. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Paul asks in verses 15, 16, and 17, he begins by, by praying for them and telling them, where he sees them, he's heard about their faith, how they have loved God, um, they've believed all the saints. And he says, here's what my prayer is that God would give you. The first ingredient that we look at today in the aspect of discipleship is the gift of the Spirit. The Heavenly Father has given you, as a believer, as a son and a daughter, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, there is to be great joy in you. I remember being in the, you know, back old school in the 90s. Um, I, I remember being out in Dallas, Texas, um, listening to Dr. Tony Evans. And I remember sitting in his church as I was listening, and this is one of the 
numerous services that he had that day, and there was 4,000-plus people. Um, and he was preaching on Jesus. It's a great thing for a preacher to be preaching on. But he, he was preaching on Jesus. And he said, you better be glad that Jesus isn't here. Because if he was here and I'm the preacher, he's going home and eating lunch with me, and you will not have Jesus with you. But because he has gone back to the Father and God has sent his Spirit, you are allowed as a believer to take God home with you. He is dwelt in you. And that's what Paul is saying to the folks in Ephesus. This is great joy because God has given you his Spirit. If you look in verses 11 through 14, you see what Paul states. In this same chapter, right before where we started, here's what he says. In Him, that's Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Excuse me, in Him, that's the Spirit, we have obtained obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I love how Adrian Rogers defined predestined. Everybody gets scared about what predestined is. Here is what predestined is, as Dr. Rogers had said. All it means is that God predetermined what you were going to look like in the end. That you are going to look like Jesus in the end. That's a good thing, right, church? That we look like Jesus. He has predestined this to happen. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. He is the guarantee of what is to come. The Spirit is the one who knows all. The Spirit is the one who has your best intentions at heart. It is He wants your very best, and God has placed Himself, His Spirit, in you for that purpose, that you might excel that you might have the very best, that you might be your very best. And the way that that comes about is you allow Him to rule and reign in you. Here is the one and only God, and He has dwelt, He has domiciled, He has uh, become, He has taken up His home, He is abiding in you and Paul asked that God would give to us just as he asked the folks at Ephesus he asked that God would give to us his spirit one commentator put it this way this is much more than the bare knowledge of God from his works which was available to the pagan world if you were to look in Romans chapter 1 you would see that anybody can see the attributes of God. They can look at the sun, they can look at the stars, they can look at the ocean and the waves that are coming in, they can look at the mountains, they can look at the flowers, look at the birds flying, and they can see there is a God. It is more than that, so much more than that. 
this commentator states, it is that personal knowledge of Him and experience which involves a two-way relationship entered into by those who have come to know God or rather to be known by God. For if one loves God, one is known by Him. In this passage, you see in verses uh, 15 down through verse 17, it states that he desires that we might know. Verse 18, that we might know what is the hope to which he has called you. That word know there is not like, I know what 6 times 6 is. I had to figure out an easy one. I know what 6 times 6 is. It's 36. Why? Because I have memorized it. It is in my brain cells up here that 6 times 6. Every time I hear 6 times 6, it's 36. And I know it. But he said, this is a different type of knowledge. It is a type of knowledge that is experienced. Not only do I know it here, not only do I know that Jesus was a person, that Jesus walked on this earth, that Jesus taught people, that we have books that are written, volume after volume that are written after about him. I know it because I've experienced it. There's a difference between a head knowledge of knowing facts, and experiencing something. This knowledge is experiential. Have you experienced Him today? A couple of questions to apply this sermon and to bring this to a close. You're like, wow, application's long this morning. Question one, where is your joy? Where is your joy? When you think about your life, where is joy? If we believe God's word is true, and it is, and we were to apply God's word to our lives, and we better, as believers, joy is knowing that God has come to live in you. He's come to live in you. He has taken up residency, not just at 34 Tanner Cove where I live, but he has taken up residency inside of these arms, inside of these legs, inside this trunk. He has taken up residency in me. And I don't have just a little bit of God. I have all God. And you don't have just a little bit of God. You have all God. His Spirit has come to live in you if you're a believer. And that should bring about joy. What does receiving the Spirit, what does receiving His Spirit give you, or a a different way to ask it, how does this gift benefit you? He allows you to rest when the storm is vehement. And fierce around you and in you. His spirit will do, count it down, it, he, excuse me, the spirit is not an it, he will do one of two things when 
the storm is raging. One of two things. He will calm the storm. There are those of you that are here today that the storm is raging in you. The storm is raging in your family right now. I mean, it is throwing tidal waves in your direction right now. He will calm the storm. Physically, Jesus calmed the storm one day. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, down through verse 41. I'll read for you the story. You remember it if you've been in church at all. But let me read it for you for those that might not have been. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. That means water's crashing into the boat. So that the boat was filling. It was already filling up. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's not that we're going to perish. It's not that sometime out in the future we're, we're going to perish. It's right now. We are perishing. Do you not care? And he awoke, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still such little faith or no faith? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Just as Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves and they stopped, the Spirit will calm the storm in you. Some of you, in the next six weeks, you're going to go to a doctor, possibly, and they're going to run some tests, and you're going to hear the dreaded C word. And the storm's going to rage in you. You're going to go to the doctor, and the doctor's going to say, you've you got to have this procedure, and the storm's going to rage in you. Some of you, the... The storm is raging right now because a father, a mother, a, a grandfather, a grandmother, they are at death's door. And it is raging because of how much you love them. And the loss will be great in you. He will come storm or he will calm you in the storm I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing I would rather him calm the storm than calm me in the storm 
I would rather that God would just say, trials and tribulations be gone. As I thought about that, I thought about a passage of Scripture that has had some debate. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, it states this. It's the day of Pentecost, and when it arrived, when that day arrived, they were all together in one place. That means the, the disciples, the followers, there was probably 120 plus of them in this room. They were all together 50 days after Passover, 10 days after Jesus ascended back to the Father. They came together, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and a and divided tongues, so multiple tongues as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. That was a sight and a half. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. He indwelt them. He filled them. And they all began to talk in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They're inside a room. There's 120 of them. They're scared to death that the Romans and the Jews are coming to get them just like they got Jesus 50 days prior. And the Spirit comes and fills them. And when He fills them, they begin to speak in other tongues. That's scene one. Scene two starts in verse number five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered. That means they were confused. Because each one was hearing them speak. All these people are now out in public. They're no longer in a room. They're now out in public. Scene two, they're hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. All of them, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. There are those that believe there are two miracles that are happening and i believe that they are illustrated in what i'm saying that one he calms the storm in you and two he calms you in the storm some believe and that in the first four verses he calls them to speak multiple languages and they were hearing these multiple languages in that room then others believe that once they got out into the public, they were speaking Aramaic like they normally speak. But the words here says that they were hearing their own tongues. They were hearing dialects from Phrygia. They were hearing dialects and languages from Rome, from Pamphylia. They were hearing those those 
those tongues from the Cretans, from uh, Mesopotamia. And that's what they were hearing. They're like, how is this? These guys are just a bunch, I'll use our term, a bunch of rednecks from Mississippi. And how is it that I'm hearing all these different languages from them? He will calm you in the storm. Some of you are at your wit's end and you're ready to give up. You're ready to just throw in the towel. If you are a believer in Christ today, He lives in you. He empowers you. And He will calm you in the storm that you're walking in. The Spirit of God was given to you and me as an inheritance, as a deposit, as a guarantee, as a down payment of all the glories of heaven. His gift, His gift for you was Brobdingnagian. The word means colossal, monumental, huge, immense. Remember the word. But more than that, remember that the gift that God gave you is to bring about joy in your life in the midst of the storm. And the gift that He is giving you and the joy that comes with him is with you for all times. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. God, I thank you. I thank you that you are in charge. Father, you know that as I was thinking about this, as I was preparing this, I was thinking of my two kids that one day I will watch them leave the house and either go to college or go to a workplace that is far away and they'll, Lord, they'll leave home. Father, how much I love my kids. Lord, the thought of them leaving, the thought of, of procedures that will take place, the, the thought of the storms that I know of in this church that are going on right now. Father, there is no way for any of us to make it through those things without you. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for giving us yourself. Would you work in our hearts right now? I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand and sing? The invitation is open for you. If you do not know Jesus, would you come right now?
Let me introduce him to you. The altar is open. Maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you just need to fall down and give up, so to speak, and allow him to bring rest. But you come as we sing, and as I always say, you obey whatever he's calling for.